Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Daniel Strain, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Forrest. Hello. And Lee Anderson. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about uh, bridging the gap. That is, reaching out to those of vastly different worldviews, whether they be political beliefs, economics, religion, ethics, all of those difficult-to-discuss topics. Um, we have seen in our society an uh, increase in polarization between different groups, ethnicities, cultures, uh, certainly religion, as religion diversifies in the United States and uh, other parts of the world. And so as things become more heated and more um, polarized, it becomes more and more difficult to reach out um, and make connection, have understanding between people. Of course, we're never gonna always agree on everything, but hopefully we can try to talk about ways to cultivate uh, more sincere connections and more open understanding connections. Um, this is a noble part of any spiritual practice, I would think. And so that's what we were talking about today. Um, what do you think, Jay? Do you have any opening thoughts about this in general before we get into some of the specific areas? Well, I think it's important to understand that it's not about which views people have. It's about a society that we have so many people in the United States and around the world that have different views. And that's just part of the way that the society is, the way the world is. There's going to be different views. That's not the issue is somebody having a different view. The issue is how do we have an intelligent, open, compassionate, loving conversation and be able to communicate across the aisle. We've seen the polarization in politics where Democrats don't talk to Republicans. And there seems to be like nobody's working together. And we're all in this together. If we're going to make society work, we have to work together. And how to do that, I think, is the, the emphasis of what we need to discuss. And how do we get past, you know, our strong beliefs and be open enough to maybe take a, another look from a different perspective? And that's a, a difficult task for, for many people. It was when I, for me, when I first started uh, on my religious quest, when I was 19, I became a fundamentalist Christian. And I got to the point where it was, you know, I knew what was right. And my friends used to call me, Mr. You're wrong, because it was like anything they would say, well, you're wrong. The Bible says this, or, you know, quote this and quote that. And it shut down the conversation. It actually hurt our relationship. And mm -hmm. I don't want to see people go through that same mistake. It's okay to be sure of what you believe, but don't be so sure that, you're, that you have the corner on truth that you're not willing to be open 
to have a conversation with other people. Maybe they have a corner of truth as well. Maybe the way they see it actually might have some helpfulness to your own view, your own walk, your own spiritual path. Yeah, and that thing about you're wrong, that uh, sometimes, you know, we can get tired, just tired of being diplomatic. And some days we don't have the energy for it. And we just are a lot more direct than we normally would be because we just don't have the patience that particular day that caught us on a bad day. And it's just easier to say, look, you're full of it. You're wrong. This is the answer. Blah, blah, blah. And just throw it out there and forget everything else. Uh, but, you know, it tends to be self-defeating because it creates this barrier where they throw up their defensive shields and, uh, you know, they feel their egos assaulted and whatnot. I think you make a good point. Lee, what do you, what do you think in general about this topic before we get into some specifics? It's interesting times that we live in. And I think, um, as I've grown up, I grew up in a household that was very open to, you know, learning about other religions, uh, you know, politics were talked and uh, things like that. When I went to college, I studied cultural anthropology and, you know, learned to appreciate other cultures, even if I didn't agree you know, with uh, what exactly their rituals or ways or uh, religions were. Mm. And throughout the years, though, I, because I always wanted to learn about things, I would have the conversations with people who were different from me. And it seemed like you could have those conversations with people without agitating or irritating them and you could walk away you know with the will agree to disagree thing but lately like you said with the polarization what I find is that it gets hard to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with you and I almost feel like through my whole life I've had it easy in having those conversations with people. And now that I come up against across people who think differently and not only just think differently, but don't want to think any other way, um, rather than, you know, saying, no, you're wrong or anything like that. I'll just shut up and walk away and I won't have the conversation, you know, so that that's kind of my way of dealing with things right now. And, and I don't want to be that way, but right now I feel like I don't have the tools to get started on bridging that gap. I know what you mean. Uh, I, I think that sometimes it could be the correct response to just simply not have the conversation because there are times where a person is just not open, you know, if they're starting out defensive or they're starting out angry um, and it could just be bad timing. I mean, a, a sort of Zen way of approaching this would be to think of it as planting seeds and, you know, there's a right time and a right place for it. And if you're going with the flow, then sometimes it's not the right time 
and for that person, they're not ready for that message or that idea. They're not ready to deal with you. And so uh, I don't think that it's completely out of the bounds that the, the correct solution might be to back off. But it's also kind of sad if we can't do that. Um, and there's especially, certain especially if there's more and more people, like you said, who are, you know, in that frame of mind, hmm. then you can't just walk away from everybody. You've got to stop at some point and start talking to people. You know, that's the only way we're going to start talking together. Well, when you talk about this uh, agreeing to disagree thing, I think what happens is that when people are sitting around and they're talking abstractly, it's a lot easier to do that. But part of the polarization process in this country, especially that's been happening lately, is I think it starts out with this connection of the idea, the concept, the belief, the position, whatever it may be, a connection of that with something that has to do with our survival or our well-being or our protection or safety or with uh, somebody's going to take something from me and my family. Um, and so these, these ideas aren't just nebulous ideas that we're having an intellectual conversation about. They feel that something is at stake, that if, if I – hear these ideas and I listen to this, this is the person that I've been hearing about that's part of this problem that that is being caused, you know, and so it becomes very personal and it, and it creates this kind of fight or flight response. And that's a big uh, hurdle, you know, how do we, how do we keep from triggering that fight or flight response in the other person? Well, the other thing too, um, is, of course, you've heard of postmodernism. The word of 2016 for the Oxford Dictionary was post-truth. Mm -hmm. That was their word of the, the year. The problem is actually even deeper than the conversations we have. If there is no truth, if truth is completely relative, not corresponding to reality, and there's no way that someone can be wrong. Mm. And if your opinion is good as my opinion, then why are you telling me your opinion? Mine's just as good. So the idea of post-truth means that there is no anchor to reality. Truth is normally defined as the correspondence between thought and reality. That means when what you think corresponds to what actually is, you have truth. Or knowledge, right? Well, knowledge is justified true belief. But mm. the actual truth, the definition of truth itself. The problem is in postmodernism, that it moved from that foundation to the idea of pragmatism. Truth is what works for you. Yeah. Now, mistaking what truth is and a test for truth, truth will work. Pragmatism, or, or if it works, that's a test that it's true but that's not the definition of truth. It's just like if it is a consistent with other things you believe, that's another test for truth, but it's not truth itself. Yeah. And even the definition, you know, when they try to redefine it as truth is whatever works, what you're saying is that the definition you've given me corresponds to reality. 
you have to use that definition even in defining it. So that's the difficulty is if, if what you believe is just as good as I, then ultimately all that matters is what matters to me. And what matters to me then is formed by maybe an influential person who says this is the way things are. Well, yeah. if I believe that, then, you know, we're not asked to have good reasons for believing it. We just believe it. And I think sometimes... Yeah, without that foundation of some kind of shared arena in which we can test and compare and contrast ideas against reality, then all that's left at that point is who has the bigger sword or who has the bigger marketing budget or who has the bigger... Uh, uh, you know, political lobbyist uh, funding. And that's exactly right. Well, that brings, up the, that brings up the point, too, that, um, you know, when you say how people develop their own truth these days, I don't want to say that people are getting really lazy, but the way they get their truth is it's thrown at them by social media. And rather than going off, like you said, Daniel, and doing your own research to find out, whether something's true, they just sit back and let it come at them, you yeah, know, rather Jay than going out and forming their own opinion. Yeah. And Jay, you'd mentioned earlier before our show started about the reality tunnel that Facebook and other right. platforms create. Yeah. It's, it comes back to like last week's or last month's article I did for the spiritual naturalist society. I talked about paradigm prisons. A paradigm is the way that you look at the world. It's kind of like a pair of glasses. A paradigm or a worldview is something you look through, not something you look at. People don't look at the way that they look. They just see reality through these glasses that they were given. Ultimately, they were either culturally inherited, they were inherited from their family, or they were indoctrinated into, into, this, into a worldview. Whatever that worldview is, you don't ever look at the worldview. You cannot take a worldview, separate it from yourself, and look at it. it. You have to look through a worldview. It's not something you look at. It's something you look through, just like a pair of glasses. And just like a pair of tinted glasses, it tints everything you see. So when you have a worldview and you're looking at things, you will interpret that with what's called confirmation bias. You'll look for the evidence that supports what you already believe and ignore the other stuff. And that's what we see over and over again. Political, religious, economic, uh, family, everybody does this. And the key to overcoming this is rationalism, coming back to being reasonable, looking at both sides of an issue. You've heard the, the story of the do not judge a person unless you walk in their moccasins one mile. Hmm. I call that the moccasin maneuver. It's the best way to get a different viewpoint. And that's, I actually did this as a Christian. I, instead of viewing, because I did, I was, I was very fundamental, very rigid in my belief system. And what I did is I said, okay, instead of trying to prove Christianity right, let me try to prove it wrong. Let me take a non-believer's viewpoint and look at it. And the perspective that you get is completely different. You look at 
oh, wait a second, I ignored this particular piece of evidence or this scientific fact. And you begin to look at things differently. You have to do that if you really want to have any kind of dialogue with people. You have to put, them, you put yourself in the other people's shoes. Look at their, not just their, you know, it's not just facts and figures for many people. It's very emotional. Emotions are tied to what we believe, and emotions blur, and they confuse lines, and they confuse us. Yeah. I think one of the things that, uh, um, that might be kind of the skeleton key or the, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of universal link could be that peace within all of us that relates to and has an admiration for uh, love and compassion. I think even um, you take a person who seems very harsh on the outside, or maybe they have ideas that, uh, or positions or policies or whatever that, that you think are uh, obviously really bad or harmful or, or uh, um, not what you would relate to as being a loving kind of policy or anything like that. Even in those cases, I think if you examine people, you'll find that there is this core and that somewhere in their mind, in given their worldview, this stuff relates to that. And I think if you can at least find a way to trigger some kind of empathy or sympathy or uh, show them a surprising tenderness or concern Maybe sometimes that can be a jarring thing that will trigger something. If you can spark some sort of heartfelt uh, compassion for one another, you might be able then to build on that and sort of use that as kind of like the little, the little crack in the wall that you could start to get things through both ways. Um, that's that's easier said than done, of course. But you know, I just think that maybe we begin with a listening, tender attitude. One of the things that I really love about, uh, for example, the Dalai Lama is that he meets with all of these different kinds of people all over the world, and no matter who he meets with, there's a disarming kind of quality about him when he's looking at you and talking to you, there's no superficial, there's no face, there's no mask, you know, you are seeing someone looking back at you who genuinely is showing and having um, compassionate, caring uh, projection of, of their uh, concerns and feelings. So if we can generate that in ourselves, I think that will radiate outward and will show to the other person. And maybe that will lower defenses enough to where some kind of dialogue can then begin in a very careful way. It reminds me of the saying, people will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh, that's great. That's a good saying. Um, You know, the thing is in, in any dialogue, 
if you do not have respect for that person, their free will, their uh, ability to choose and their ability to, to think, they're not going to respect you either. You have to come with a respect of this is their life. They have the right to believe what they want, even if it's wrong. And you have to honor that. That's hard. I mean, you have to really just honor that. And I believe that's what the Dalai Lama does, is he meets people where they are. He doesn't bring them to where he's at. He says, I meet you where you are, and I give you kindness, I give you compassion, and I give you an ear, I listen. And then when they're done listening, then he may share uh, an insight, plant that seed, and then let it, let it grow. See, we want to build a tree in a day. We yeah, want to patience. water it. We want it to grow now. <laughs> it doesn't appear now. I'm done talking with you. And that, but that's not how relationships go. That's not how seeds are planted. That's not how it works in nature. You plant yeah. a seed, and then you slowly water it. And then it, yeah. will, it, will take, it will grow of its own accord. Patience is a big thing. But, you know, like, um, like you were saying, Lee, if you, if you meet somebody at a one-time event, you're not necessarily going to have the time to build a relationship, but maybe we can get skillful at planting little seeds and not going further. I think one thing I have to be careful with is that if somebody's talking, I, I could get attached to a position, and I feel if they're saying something against that position that I'm being assaulted. And so then it becomes a, uh, it becomes a part of my ego that is battling rather than, uh, you know, so at, at, at the same time we're, we're hoping they don't pick up their sword. We have to put ours down and I don't know, maybe, maybe we, we, if we can just be satisfied with planting a little seed. And well, I think- and I, I was going to say, Jay had brought up earlier about the fact that a lot of people's uh, discontent is just based on fear. And it can be just a fear of change. They don't want, you know, mm-hmm. things to change. And for my own self, I can see that when I come into one of those situations, I had been emotionally reacting, but if I can step back and, you know, just look at the person and think, you know, you're afraid of your world changing and and just even just to develop a little bit of compassion, like you said, for the fact that, yeah, they have a totally different position. I don't even agree with what it is, but in their world, you know, they're just afraid of somebody taking something away from them or somebody changing something in that world. And I can have compassion for that, whether I agree with them or not, whether I even respond, you know, to what they're saying or not, but I can change my response so that I don't take it away. You know, when I leave like that. And I I think we would be, um, kind of unrealistic too if we were trying to say that everyone just means well and they have their own understanding. I I think it is also true that some people do have malicious intent. 
or they have very dark kinds of uh, emotions or values or principles. And even here, though, I think what we can look at is saying, well, something led them to this place. Some set of experiences and some set of uh, uh, conditions arose that led them into being this kind of person. Right. To led them into thinking this is how they need to be to survive, to get by, to prosper. And that in itself is a tragedy um, worthy of some, you know, solemn sort of uh, uh, empathy. And, you know, admonishing them or being angry at them or uh, being offensive to them certainly is, isn't really going to help anything. And for me, I, I try to, and I'm not always successful is, but I try to always remember what am I trying to do in interacting with this person? What, where do I want this to go? Like, why, why am I doing this? Sometimes we find that we walk away from a conversation and we know we weren't going to get through to that person. We know it was just going to offend them. So why did we even try if we were going to come at it from that angle? You know, uh, sometimes it's blowing off steam. Like I said before, I mean, person, we ourselves can get tired and yeah. just have a little fight in it. You think it's going to relieve steam, but it turns out that all you're doing is practicing on being angry <laughs> and you get better at it if you keep practicing. And in this day and age, sometimes people are just looking for the attention and they're just going to argue with you or tell you something just to get your reaction because that's mm. what they feed on. So there's nothing that you can say that's really going to change it because, you know, that's what where their whole thought process is. Yeah, my father-in-law, in fact, loves to argue. And he'll play the <laughs> that figure just because he likes to argue and as you guys were talking i was thinking you know really buddhism does have an answer for this it's called non-attachment to views so one of the things that trips us up is attachment to views and this is the difficulty is we're sitting there and the entire conversation we've had we've all assumed that we're right in what we're talking to the other person and we have to get them to open up and see that we're right <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a difficulty because at least my own experience is I've been pretty good at being wrong. And the older I get, the more non-attached I become to my views. If someone believes differently than me, it, it's not the end of the world. You know, before it was like, Oh, they can't, you can't, you have to believe the truth. Well, what I believe, I believe is the truth, but I also know that I'm very possibly mistaken in part or even maybe in a whole. So if I come to them realizing I'm doing the best that I can with the evidence that I have, I try to look at the evidence and come to the most objective conclusion I can. Knowing, as we talked about in an earlier podcast, um, a humble approach to knowledge. We simply don't know anything for certain other than our own existence and mathematical. You know, there's, there's a handful of things we know with certain, absolute certainty. Everything else we know in probabilities. 
which means new evidence might change that. Science tomorrow may discover something new that will completely revolutionize the way we look at reality. So if we begin to look at it as our views are held, but held loosely, you hold on to your views, but hold them loosely, then it doesn't become a personal matter. I'm not attached to it. I'm not identifying. I don't find my identity in what I believe. It's just a tool we're using right now. We can put it down and use a different tool if it turns out that that one works better. Exactly. Yeah, and then we don't run around with a hammer and think the hammer is going to fix everything. <laughs> and that, that's the difficulty is, is we get attached to our views. But if we realize we can be wrong, I'm not saying that necessarily they're right, but the fact that you can be wrong and you hold on to belief loosely, then you're not arguing for a belief. You draw people to the evidence that you have so they can come to the same conclusion you did. You know, it comes back to what are the reasons for your belief? And you give them the reasons rather than the belief. Hmm. Maybe... uh this idea of whether we don't try it, sometimes we just walk away versus planting a seed versus having a whole conversation and developing a relationship, this whole gradient going from nothing up to everything. Right. Maybe where we find our way in that is by being a little more passive and we hear somebody say something that we disagree with. And instead of coming back with, no, it's this, 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 because this, 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 and how could you believe that? And we're driving it when we do that. We're driving the discussion. We may, and they may not be, they may just have their, their coat caught in the door of your car and being drugged along, you know? And um, so maybe it's more like you kind of, um, it's almost like an enticement with their own curiosity. You know, if somebody seems like they're completely unaware that somebody like you exists, or maybe they haven't talked to many people that have your views, just a very staying in a very compassionate kind way, plant a little seed. Well, I've always thought this, and then just kind of leave it at that. Then leave it to them to come back and say, well, either why do you think that or you're wrong because then maybe they'll take off with you in the car, you know what I mean, whatever. But that may be a way for us to be, and, and maybe what I'm really talking about here is listening. So we listen, and through that listening, we get more of a sense of where are they willing to go with this on this ride? Yeah, I are think just right in a quick thing or yeah. they want deeper. And I, I, I think that's, I mean, I'm, I'm in a sense, as I'm talking, I'm telling myself this because I need to hear this as much. Um, but maybe that's a good idea to keep mindful of. Yeah, I think active listening, where you're not just hearing, you're actually listening and gauging where they are. Because you can tell in a conversation the openness of the person because mm -hmm. they'll be asking you questions. Uh, one of the things that says in the Bible, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you for the hope that's in you. In other words, you give a, a, an answer or a response when they're asking you, when they're initiating the open door. Yeah. And it can be just, 
that's that's the key. That's the swing. That's the hinge that swings between whether they're open or not open. If they're not asking you any questions, they're not interested in what you believe. <laughs> it's really that simple. Yeah. And you sharing what you believe, now you're, you're Jehovah Witnessing them. You're knocking on their door. You're barging into their personal space. You're pushing what you believe on them. And the first thing they're going to do is defend, shut down, and run away. Yeah. yeah great point. So it seems like with all of this stuff we're talking about, whether it's, it's us here having this conversation or listeners who are still with us, uh, I would guess that all of those folks in us are people that care about this, this topic, um, that are interested in it and want to try to be better at it and everything like that. So that's all well and good, but that's just the half that we control. You know, I can be as good as I can be, take on all these different things we've been talking about, and do everything right. But if the other person is not also doing that, then uh, that's, I, you know, and again, you said this earlier, Jay, but at some point we've got to accept what is not in our control. Exactly. And, and that's also, I think, a good thing that you brought that up because I'd mentioned this before we started taping is there will be times that you'll have that person who will drag you by the shirt coat and try to get you in an argument and you will not be aware. You'll be busy and you'll get caught up and you'll get in the big heated argument. And then you'll have the after feelings the the tension, the, the frustration towards this person, how they can be so stupid and you know, all that turning, <laughs> on. you know, you just, frust- you'll have the conversation five times in your head. Oh, oh five times. Yeah. Five times a minute, you know, <laughs> uh, what, what should I have said? I should have said this. I can't believe they said this. I should have responded. And you're replaying it. Best thing to do is stop and beginning loving kindness meditation towards them. You need to let it go. You know, just in your mind as you're breathing, may they be safe. May they be happy. May they be healthy. May they be content. And continue to say that as you relax, you breathe, and just let it go. It's their life. It's their choice. It's not your responsibility to change the world. It's each of us responsibility to change ourselves. That's what we have control of, as the Stoics say. We can control ourselves. We can't control circumstances in the world. We can influence it. We should do the best we can. But there's no guarantees. The only guarantee yeah, saying that we don't control others of the world isn't to say that we don't do our part in trying to make the world a better place. It just means that we don't place our happy the conditions of our happiness on the outcomes of those efforts because they're not under control. Right. We our happiness comes from being that kind of person. Right. And trying to make ourselves that kind of person. But whether or not it succeeds, there's a million different variables, not just our input into the formula. So, uh, yeah, well said. Um, I'm just looking over some of my notes here. I want to make sure we cover some of the, some of these other aspects. Um, so, how do we? Um, 
you know, like this, this issue of facts, like, you know, I was talking with a friend not long ago about, uh, something and he said, and we've eventually got to this point where I said, well, I think that our main issue here isn't that we disagree on the reasoning of this or the logic of it. It's just that we have a different understanding of reality. <laughs> you know, you you think the world is this way and I think it's that way. And it's a very, uh, a lot of times disagreements come up because of things that are, it's not like is the cow brown or is the cow white? It's uh, how nice is the cow? It's, it's something like that has a lot of, degree or weight to it you know yes it's yeah. true what you said and yes it's true what i said they're both true but which one is weighted in proportion which which issues are the big issues versus the little issues that don't matter as much and all of those little gradients of degree those are the hardest things to get past because there's no fact that you can pull out and show the person or show yourself that says, oh, yeah, that's right or wrong. Yeah, they're value judgments. And value judgments are based upon value, and value is subjective. Mm. Now, value should be based upon objective reality. But the problem is, is we'll just take one, which for me is, is a major concern, and that's the environment. To me, that's a major issue, taking care of the environment, because you got to look at the consequence of not taking care of the environment. We're talking global warming, rising sea level, which then will cause famine. Famine will cause war. War will continue to spread throughout, you know, the, the planet. These are things that to me are major issues that we could do something to stop. So to me, the value judgment is not based upon the incident itself. It's based upon the consequences of not or not doing it or doing it. So a lot of the value judgments are drawn from consequences. Consequences also, this is another value judgment thing. For many people, family is more important than anything else. That's a value judgment, okay? And that value judgment then will influence economics. It'll influence their political views. Other people, they are nationalists. They believe in the United States, the greatest nation on earth, period, nothing. We're the best. We don't care about the rest. And then there's those that are globalists, global citizens who believe we're, we're on this planet. We're all in this together. We've got to all get along. And we've got to work together for the, the, the good of all humanity, not just those in my state or in my family or in my nation, but the world. But that, there's also another kind of globalist, which is a different kind of global vision than uh, equality, but more like uh, control. <laughs> it's well, a different kind of globalist. Yeah, totalitarian, but, totalitarianism. Yeah. Well, you know... Um, these things are, uh, you know, they're difficult to get around. But when we talk about consequences or projected consequences, that's a path to fear. Because a lot of times that's what people think they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're thinking, oh, well, i got to look at the consequences. And then 
they have this idea in their head about what the consequences are and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, whatever, but that they think, Oh, well, this is going to happen if I don't do that. Or if but don't, just, or just if we don't take care of these people who are causing this problem. We've got to, let's you know. take that for an, because that's a good point. Look at that just for a moment. Okay. We see on TV what happens throughout the nation, the gun violence, for an example, or the crime. We see every day this, this, this. Well, these are isolated incidents at particular points with, you know, metropolitan areas. But you have someone in, let's say, a small town in Wisconsin or something. They're petrified, except statistically, nothing's going to happen there. But the perception of reality changes the reality itself. They don't mm -hmm. look at statistics. They don't look at the facts of their own situation. And that's what happens with fear. They stir up fear. And fear it's kind of like a stock market in a way. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, all they need is the, the great procrastinate or uh, prophet of the stock market saying it, it's headed for a big low and all of a sudden everybody pulls out their money and guess what? <laughs> and then it is headed for a big is, low. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So perception I, is, is a big deal. I think on the opposite end too, though, there are the, the single mother who's raising four kids, who's worried about how she's going to have enough money to feed her kids. And the news or anybody else can throw anything at her about the environment or other issues that they want to. But her main concern is how is she going to get food on the table? So she's not listening to anything. She's just trying to live in her current environment the way it is. So other global type issues, it, it's really hard to talk to somebody who, you know, is more worried about just their basic survival right there. Yeah, which is understandable. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you've got different people at different levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And also perceived different levels that, that they're at. Um, they may believe themselves to be in dire danger of something, and whether they are or not, that well, like you just said, Jay, that belief uh, can be self fulfilling. So you know, this whole issue of, of media, we talked about Facebook earlier, but also just all of our media is becoming um, these huge conglomerates and just a few different extremes and they're becoming more extreme. So they're both reflecting and creating the polarization. And that helps to make greater and greater divides between worldviews, which probably leads to these different, um, uh, ignorance breeds fear. And so as we are ignorant of one another, we become fearful of one another. Um, yeah, I think we just got to really emphasize love and compassion and start there and really, um, you know, I think we have to just be better at showing the other person that we really do care. Um, and like you say, and Jay, honor them. Um, but it, it, do you think, though, that there's enough people like, I mean, we don't even know if we're going to succeed at everything we just talked about. <laughs> we're going to try to do this 
We want to make it part of our practice, but we're going to be imperfect, of course. But is it really the case? I, I hope it is. I think it is, and I hope it is. But I have a feeling a lot of people hearing this might think this is all well and good for the people who care about this and want to do this. But will it really change our society? Can we actually change our society by just each of us trying to be better ourselves, no matter what side of the aisle we're on, no matter what religion we're in, no matter what, just each of us trying to be more, uh, more loving and tender and connecting with others and trying to be listening more. If we start with ourselves and we get enough people together, starting with themselves, can we really turn this behemoth around? Uh, well, obviously that the answer is yes. The difficulty is, can we get the critical mass to actually get to the point where they can have a decent, honest, civilized conversation about things that they are really passionate about without name calling and, you know, door slamming and screaming and hollering. That's the difficulty is we're at the point now where that is the difficulty that I'm not sure that we can uh, bridge. Um, what do you think, Lee? Well, when you were talking about uh, people being ignorant with fear, I was visualizing uh, the reason people are ignorant is because they have walls up around them and they only want to hear the information that they want to hear. Whereas when we walk out um, with compassion and love and understanding, we're walking out and communicating to, with people without walls. And so what visually in my mind, our task is, is to try and help people tear down those emotional walls that they have and you know just become less ignorant at least start listening to other people so one by one uh, yeah that's a hard task but um to me it seems like that's what we have to do yeah and even if we don't succeed i think a human being in general will have a flourishing life in this kind of a practice um they'll at least know they'll have the the they'll have the inner respect self-respect of knowing what they're doing i think what they're well they'll be doing in that case is a lot more compatible with our true nature as human beings as social animals um and you know I think we also have to be prepared for the fact that we're going to have, we're going to get all mindset and everything. We're going to, oh yeah, this, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be like this. Next time I run into somebody like that, I'm going to be this way. And I'm gonna, well, we have to be prepared for the fact that some people will not care. They will not be compassionate. They will be mean. They will be rude. We will be insulted. Uh, we can't have their behavior be a prerequisite for our behavior. I think that's one of the key issues there. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. 
Well, this has been uh, really cool. I, 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 I'd love to hear what our listeners think and hear some comments back. And um, um, do you think there's anything else we need to cover on this uh, topic? Any other? Well, I was thinking we did talk about, I did talk about the loving kindness meditation, but also mm-hmm. if you do get in that heated argument, there might be a point where you need to apologize as well. I thought that might be a good thing to point out. You know, mm-hmm. if you let yourself go, it, it might be appropriate to just say, you know, forgive me. I got a little heated there. I d- didn't mean what I said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that thing is, a, a, you know, the mindfulness, everything we talked about, just like all of the wisdom that connects to any spiritual practice is all just words unless we can stay mindful and apply it at the moment. And that's the hardest thing because when you start to get emotional, you get less mindful. Um, So keeping our mindfulness up and practicing our meditation or whatever techniques we use to be more mindful and more attentive, that's all going to be compatible with this. Everything's interconnected. Good point. Um, Lee, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, I do like the apology, though. You don't have to apologize for what you said, just like getting emotional, you know? <laughs> yeah, ego is hard. Yeah. Very hard. Um, well, thank you all so much um, for being here, and thank you to our listeners. Um, we're going to wrap up now. And please uh, feel free to check out our other episodes. We've got quite a catalog building up now of other episodes, and we come out with new ones every month. So stay tuned. Bye-bye. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and become a member at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemens Rude. Jay Forrest is our technical director. Please share our program and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today.